I am Latoya Benton. Xavier killed my son. He was murdered by the state police on January the 9th, 2021. He was murdered by DC Metropolitan, the police in their custody. He died in their custody. And they claim that they don't know what happened. They had they had no business arresting him. This is life after the impact. A podcast for impacted families by impacted families that focuses on what happens after the media, the lawyers, and the activists are gone. Impacted families are left to face the lives we will focus on their continued fight for justice and how we can get involved. Give me the one that just walks away. Bunch of police take another life today. Leave a loved one torn that I left to say. Candles burning and all we do is pray. Yeah. Yes. And people have to realize, they got to realize too the importance of either of her case to them being qualified immunity in that area. When families stick into the fight and people got to realize too, when it comes to civil lawsuits, people love to say, oh, it's blood money. No, it's setting precedents for other cases that are behind these cases so you can prove a point. So it's very important her family sat in the fight and is stuck in the fight so that we realize that you can, you can be qualified immunity. You got to stick in the fight. You got to be persistent and consistent in order to, to be called immunity. Your, your family actually, you guys did it. Yeah, and, and exactly what you're saying. Also, you know, it. there's so many families that are going to experience those times when they're trying to force us to take a settlement, force us to just drop it, scare us out of it. That. It's happening so much, you know, yeah. and I understand it's a scary place for families to be. I knew with my brother's case specifically and the evidence we have, once it's actually pulled out, you know, you'd it's it's there. They right. the whole world. Yes. It, and and you know, I feel bad for families if we don't have the evidence, if we don't have the videos, if there were no witnesses, I'm thankful that we eventually, you know, it took years to get what we got, but I am thankful that we know the truth because it's what I always knew, but I didn't have the physical evidence. And now we do. So I tell families, you know, fight, fight it. What the 968.02 sub 3 did was put the power back in the people's hands. We forget that we have the power. We say these words in the streets, but one of the things that we forget is it's not just about voting. Right. It's about knowing the system. And that's what my mother did. That is what something like this does to somebody. It takes somebody who was gardening in her garden with her grandchildren and puts them in front of a computer and makes them learn every application, every law that they need to know to make sure that they can get some justice. Good evening. My name is Roxanne Johnson. My son's name was Jamal Bird. He was killed by DC Metropolitan Police October the 1st, 2019. Here with me is my co-host. Hey, LaToya. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. 
My name is Latoya Benton. I am the mother of Xavier Hill. Xavier was killed by Virginia State Police on January the 9th, 2021. Tonight, we are joined by Mr. Angelo Pinto. Angelo, you want to get a quick intro on who you are? Sure. So Angelo Pinto, um, one of the co-founders of Until Freedom, a national civil rights, human rights organization that does work around police brutality, criminal justice reform. Um, we did a lot of work around the Justice for Breonna Taylor campaign. Prior to that, I did a lot of criminal justice legislative change in New York State. So I worked on a campaign called Raise the Age, which ended the automatic prosecution of 16 and 17 year olds as adults in New York State. Um, and I do a lot of teaching now. So I'm an adjunct professor at Seton Hall and I'm a community activist in residence at Yale. Awesome, awesome. Angela, we are thrilled to have you on tonight. Um, you guys, it's real fast. We're gonna go right into Angelo and talk with him, but I wanna give you all some really thrilling news. Um, if you all have been following the case, Xavier's sister was killed April the 7th, uh, 2022 in a car collision with Richmond Police Department. We have been in um, court for the last two days dealing with this case and they have found the officer guilty on all charges, you guys, as guilty on manslaughter and as well as reckless driving. Please, if you um, can reach out on Facebook to Tracy Williams, sorry, Pierre Williams and Stephen Hill, and let the family know you're still in the fight with them as well. Um, I think they said sentencing is going to be in August, but I'll be sure to keep you guys updated and posted on this as well. Okay. Now, moving right on to our conversation for this evening, Angela, before we got started, we were talking about just uh, about DAs and stuff. Can we kind of just go back to where we dropped off at? Most definitely. And I, I want to say even before that, congratulations, because yes. it takes a lot to get a win. And we often talk about the importance of staying in the fight. Right. right. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's difficult. But when you do stay in the fight, you do get victories. And yes. it will be great to look at kind of what transpired in that case, because I'm sure there are some some gems and some insights into how the wind was pulled off, which is tremendously important as folks kind of continue to endure fights around the country regarding these kinds of incidents. But we were talking about, you know, what to do when a district attorney doesn't, you know, bring criminal charges against an officer for police murder or in any instance, whether it's ex excessive force. And oftentimes, and this was kind of, what we learned when we were on the ground in Louisville working on Brianna Taylor's case. And it's so interesting because, and in many cases, but particularly that, that case stands out to me that, you know, there wasn't a video, there wasn't a lot of evidence that the public could see that mm -hmm. said, wow, these officers engaged in a tremendous amount of misconduct. And actually what happened initially was of course the press was you know, painting this picture that she was involved with, you know, unsavory individuals. And that's why there was a warrant issue to her home. And this was her fault. And her fiance at the time, you know, defending his home, you know, fired a shot because Making he didn't know. Villains. Yes. You yeah. know, he didn't know who was in, who was coming into his home. Right. Mm -hmm. He was trying to protect his house. Um, and as a result, he was arrested and charged. And he was the only person initially arrested and charged, even though the only person who was harmed and lost their life was his fiance, Brianna Taylor. Mm -hmm. And 
our fight really started there it was like, you know, Kenny Walker is his name is like, you know, and he was in jail. When we first got the call about the case, Kenny was in jail facing charges hmm. and we, he was a facing attempted murder charges. Right. And we said, you know, we have to first get Kenny out of jail and get we we're like, let's get these charges dropped. Let's get Kenny home and then we could begin the fight for Brianna. And really what happened was visibility. We said that we were going to bring attention to this case. We were going to let folks know kind of all the circumstances around the case and why Kenny should not be incarcerated. He was defending his home and it was a no knock warrant. So he had no clue who was entering his house. And for most folks, if someone is entering your home, you know, you probably will defend it. Um, and that's exactly what Kenny did. And within a very short period of time, creating kind of some media attention, us going to the streets and protesting, having a number of caravans, Kenny's charges were dropped, right? And they so said, okay. visible in the public eye then. Yes. And they said, Kenny's charges were dropped. Now, they didn't initially say they were going to do anything about Brianna. So that fight just started as Kenny's charges were dropped. Um, but we knew that with leverage, with visibility, and building power in the community, we could get the results we wanted, right? We knew it would be a fight and it was going to be a dog fight to do it, but we knew that we could do it. And then we began to really build a strategy to get the officers held accountable in the murder of Breonna Taylor. And, and part of what our strategy was, was to target the state district attorney, who was Daniel, who was Daniel Cameron. Um, because the local district attorney was not prosecuting and we knew he had the power to look into the case. Um, and it was- So answer the question, each time you guys went to a different a different person, did you have like a presentation set up? What did y'all have in order to go to that person? You know, Daniel Cameron wasn't really a person who was interested in talking to us. <laughs> so he wasn't trying to have a conversation um, he's a, a huge pro-police attorney general, and he was running on, and he's running on that. Now he's running for the governor of Kentucky. Oh. Oh. And so, but we knew we had to get his attention regardless. And what we did was, you know, as organizers, we found out where he lived. And <laughs> we, went, we, went to his house. we went to his house and we didn't tell anybody. <laughs> But 85 of us, it was, it was probably about 150 individuals, and 85 of us sat on his lawn. And we knew we were going to get arrested. So we were like, we're going to engage in civil disobedience in front of his house to let him know that this matters to us. And we're going to do what it takes to get his attention and get him to say something, like do something. Tell us what your plan is. And 85 of us were arrested <laughs> and on his lawn. And they actually, it was it was wild because they actually charged us with felonies. Wow. Right. Wow. But we used that as a as an opportunity to really shed a light. Like the officers who shot Brianna Taylor didn't get charged with anything. And individuals who peacefully protested got That's charged hard. with felonies quickly. And it and it just really showed the hypocrisy in how they prosecute individuals. Mm -hmm. So we were able to leverage that. Eventually, our charges were dropped. It took some time. We spent 24 hours in jail, all of us. But we start, We got Daniel Cameron's attention. And now the media was asking him, 
hey, what are you going to do about this? Do you have a response to Breonna Taylor's murder? And as a result, some conversation started to happen. So what, do, what do you think the issue is? And like you got cases, you said, people say all the time, well, my case doesn't get this media attention mm -hmm. or I don't have the backing of the community to get this kind of media attention. What do you think is, is prohibiting why why do some cases they get all this media attention you got some cases where they may get a glimpse of news stories if 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 even and after that it's kind of like there's no support why is that you think you know every case varies so much um some of it is just the moment that it's happening in some of it is how individuals you know on social media take to it and pay attention to it when yeah. brianna taylor's case first happened no one knew about it you know, there was no video, so it wasn't going viral. And even the first couple of times we went to Louisville, Kentucky, most people were not paying attention. There was about, you know, 50 to 100 people in Louisville who cared, who we rallied around and utilized to get Kenny home and create some media opportunities. But for the most part, most individuals were not paying attention. Um, and we just had to really create and use the 150 people to build momentum to build media attention locally and nationally. And we just had to build. So week to week, month to month, we were building upon the media attention we got. We were putting, finding creative ways to put pressure on individuals who had the power to make decisions. And, you know, one of the things that I think is always happening is, and we talk about this a lot, is like turning a moment into a movement. Mm -hmm. And we had to pay close attention to moments that were happening around us to leverage right to say okay this is an opportunity for us to put more pressure on us and one of the things that happened we were actually in louisville this was like the, our third visit to louisville and we actually were about to leave to head to indianapolis to meet with a family of a young man who had been murdered by police and right before we left there was in a video online that was going crazy it happened to be the murder of george floyd mm -hmm. And we decided, we were like, yo, we have to go to Minneapolis. And we ended up driving 10 hours from Louisville to Minneapolis to be there. And that moment really gave us a lot of momentum and folks around the country to raise the visibility around police murder that was happening in their local community. Mm -hmm. And we were able to really raise a tremendous amount of attention around Breonna Taylor's case as a result of that. Um, and I think, you know, Jalen Walker's case, you have the case of the young man who was shot mm -hmm. um, in Kansas City. It wasn't by police, uh, Ralph Yarl. But those moments where you see this inhumanity towards Black life mm -hmm. really create opportunities for us to say yes. And we're in this particular fight here around a very similar situation. So, 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 so where do we go from, the, like Jalen Walker, like you just said, with his case for prime example, where do we go as a community when we see um, this young man get pretty much butchered in the street, um, all his bullets hit him, and they still say they can't find any evidence to the convict of police? What, how, you know, that makes people on, this, on the flip side, you can see, okay, hey, in our case today, they got charged of manslaughter, right? But then you also see cases like Jalen Walker's case, and it's a blind man to see what happened there. Right. So I don't understand how they can't say they can convict. So where do we go as a community on something like that? On how, how do you move forward? You know, it's interesting. 
there is a documentary on Netflix. I think it's called like 150 Shots. And there was a case right outside of Akron in Cleveland, because we usually fly into Cleveland and drive to Akron, where a couple was shot over 150 times. Police officer. I mean, police. Yes. Police. It's ridiculous. The officer at one point, it was a car chase. And then the car stopped, they shot into the car. The officer gets on the hood of the car and starts shooting into the car. Hmm. Right. Hmm. So when you see something like a Jalen Walker, where about a hundred shots are fired, which is obviously at least gross negligence, right? You're obviously acting recklessly. You're doing all the things that show we should we should take a closer look into this and hold someone accountable, and nothing happens. It usually speaks to from my perspective, system-wide corruption. That's like right. this is too blatant for sure. there to be no accountability, no action, and mm-hmm. something that's this egregious. And then it's important because, you know, some of us know the history that right next door in Cleveland, there were 150 shots fired not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So this is something that officers in this region are like getting away with. And getting away with. Mm-hmm. And the district attorneys, the attorney generals are declining to prosecute, to do anything. So for us, you know, our pivot, the first thing is when Jalen Walker happened, unfortunately, we were like, we have to do, we have to do something very extreme to get attention, right? We knew, we were like, because if we don't. People are not going to pay attention. And not only that, that's what the prosecutors want. They want the community to be quiet. Yep. That would they yep. wait to sweep it under the rug. That's right. They That's can't right. wait. And so when we go to places and sometimes people look at us funny like that, we're just trying to raise all, all the attention we can. Mm-hmm. And the, our goal is to let the prosecutors, the mayor, and other elected officials know this isn't going away. That's right. And you have to do something. Right. Um, and in Jalen Walker's case, and we were talking about it when we first went down there, that didn't really happen. And there was a lot of conversation around, you know, allowing them to do their job, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which they didn't do, mm-hmm. right? And now what we know we have to do, which is what we ended up doing in the Breonna Taylor case and in other cases, is we had to go reach out to the Department of Justice and say, hey, we need you all to potentially have a federal investigation, look at what happened in this particular case, see if there's enough evidence to prosecute these officers. In addition to that, there may be a pattern in practice, right? In this department, maybe even this whole region of the country (laughs) that you should be taking a closer look in. And they did that in Louisville. Um, The federal government has this tool they call consent decrees, where they're able to open up these department-wide investigations and look at misconduct, excessive force, and then they enter into this agreement with the department on the process to begin to change these things. Hmm. And these consent decrees, they really started after the Rodney King beating. And now, tried. is this the DOJ or this is through? This is the DOJ. So the civil so how, rights. So how decisions. does one, is that an each state or how does that work? So it's the federal government. So, you know, it's the Department of Justice who. You know, they're not a, a huge agency, but their civil rights division, which is recently, I think since 20, 2001, excuse me, 2021, is being headed up by a black woman, Christian Clark. 
Okay. Right. From yeah. Brooklyn. And okay. a lot of folks advocated for her to get that position mm -hmm. because we knew she would be begin to do some of this work. You know, um, we've been doing these podcasts, um, Angelo, since um, January. And what's really clear to me is that, you know, understanding what uh, police officers are trained to do. One of the things they're trained to do is to de-escalate <laughs> um, violence. But what we hear over and over again is that they create the crises. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. then then mm -hmm. they then solve by being violent mm -hmm. towards people in black bodies, and it ends up with our um with our end. It ends up with our demise, right? So you yep. get pulled over for a tail light, and you end up dead. Yep. Right. And so, how is it that um you know you were talking about these um these um consent decrees? How do we get more of these uh, consent decrees um implemented? Because from what I can see, just about every police department in the United States of America. It's true. I think you know it's interesting. We had a call with the DOJ last actually less in the past seven days. Um, because we were talking to them about Jalen Walker and some other incidents of police violence around the country that we want them to look into. So I think part of it is pressure on the DOJ now. So how do we do that, man? How, you'll, you'll have people say, let's go out there without having an appointment. We're going to just go and process. How does one actually go about getting the attention of the DOJ to even look into either the department, a case, let alone, how does that actually happen? You know, we have done several things. You know, we've had press conferences in front of their office. We've had, um, and we've also had communication with them. So we've told them like, hey, these are cases, this is a case we want you to look into. Um, we hope you consider it. We're gonna have a press conference. <laughs> at your office and we're going to drop off some information to you right. after our press conference. We hope you receive it. We hope you take a look into this matter and follow back up with us. Um, so we have a bit of a rapport with them now. They know who we are. Again, like I said, the sister Christian Clark is an advocate on the inside um, of the DOJ. But one of the challenges that we realize, and she said it on the call, is that there, she said kind of what we're saying. There's not enough consent right. decrees happening around the country. And some of it, I think, is, and even just, you know, watching the opening to your, to this podcast is that there's so many names people don't know. Yes. And anytime I go anywhere in the country or talk to anybody or I get a DM, it's just like, oh, my gosh, it's so many names. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the names people don't know. Mm -hmm. Most, the vast majority of the names people don't know. There was a brother here. There's a brother in Patterson, New Jersey, um, Najee Seabrooks, who was murdered probably about a month ago by Patterson Police Department. This brother actually does violence prevention work. That's what he does. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. He was having a mental health crisis. Yeah. And as opposed to sending in individuals who really know how to deescalate. The police. He was, he was barricaded in his house, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Murder. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And we're seeing that around the country, like there's a there, a lot of the police murders are happening because of mental health crisis and they're not deescalating. Yeah. Um, and that's they're something escalating them. 
they're escalating them, right? Oh, All the way crazy. to they cause the damn thing. Yes, mm -hmm. to extreme violence, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the deal, I think part of what needs to happen is that all of the of the folks who the community doesn't know the names, right? The nation doesn't know the names. We all need to make a trip to the DOJ and say to the Department of Justice, hey, you know, we know that you all have begun. And this is a quick aside. I was looking at, because in one of my classes, we're talking about the consent decree. So I'm teaching the students about, listen, this is what the DOJ has the ability to do. And I, and I brought in the Louisville report it's a 90 page report of police misconduct. 90 pages. I mean, it, and it's mind blowing, right? And you're talking about just one department mm -hmm. in one city, right? And it's just Not like the like, whole state. That's just one department. Oh, that's right. <laughs> one alone, the whole country, mm -hmm. right? When if you're from any city in America and you're black, you know there's a long history of abuse and police murder. Yeah. It ain't hard to find. It's it's pretty evident. Yeah. So I think we have to go to the DOJ in force and say to them, listen, we got thousands of names. Mm -hmm. right? And we believe these names are connected to patterns in local law enforcement that's going unchecked. And we know more individuals are going to die because of it. Yeah. And we need to figure out what's the next step to addressing this from the Department of Justice's perspective. Because the consent decrees, again, like that happened after Rodney King and different administrations will, and the Trump administration came in and they ended them. So that mm -hmm. happens too. An administration will come in and say, we're not doing these anymore. We're ending these investigations. So we really need something in place that takes the consent decrees to the next level. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. power behind it. Yes. I don't know, and actually to, to expand it so that way yeah. it can reach more cities. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like, um, but I think the community of individuals and families who, who hold these names near and dear have to go to the DOJ and make this a priority, especially why you have individuals like, you know, Kristen Clark in power. And- Yes. And I think it also gives us the ability to begin to think and organize together mm -hmm. and figure out what this looks like. Because the reality, I mean, you know, I'm a huge defund the police. I'm just like, this ain't going to work, man. We, <laughs> we can't do this like this. Um, right. We need alternatives. We have to really reduce the size of police forces around the country. There's no way around that. And we have to get resources and new programs that actually work into our communities, right? Exactly. But we have to begin to create a plan to do that because what's happening, even in the cities like New York, the mayor is trying to give more money to the police department. They're trying to expand police departments just about in every city around the country while police murder is up. So we're okay. up against, you know, it's David and Goliath for real. Right, and right. I think we have to band together around the country to say, no more, we're not going to do it. And I think, and I, and I watched one of the podcasts that you that y'all all did previously where they were talking about lynching, right? And mm -hmm. the fact that police murder is modern day lynching, mm -hmm. right? And we, folks are already talking about the criminal justice system being the new Jim Crow. And I think while that language could be alarming, it's important because yeah. people have to realize the the gravity of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with folks being lynched in 2023. Mm 
And Literally. not only are we dealing with folks being lynched, we're dealing with folks being black folks being lynched predominantly with no accountability, no, no recourse, no. nothing left no. to deal with that trauma, right? No. Left no. to deal with that trauma. So I think we have to pull in as a community of folks around the country and really start to say, how do we build together? How do we put pressure on the G DOJ to do something much more comprehensive? Yeah, yeah. And, and and to your point, um, Angelo, we this podcast we 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 um, pride ourselves. We always say, you know, we about action. We don't want that action, and we are <laughs> about that action, right? And so when we hear that there are uh, local district attorneys who refuse to prosecute and hold accountable police officers, what we need to do is what vote their asses out. That's correct. That's correct. And you know, that's such a great point because in Patterson, the first thing they were saying is like, this mayor got to go. Yeah. And the DA got to go. And that's mm -hmm. and, and Louisville, Kentucky, it's a, it's a lesson I'm going to teach some of my students tomorrow because we were talking about consent decrees. And, you know, like many things, we realize that some of these system created interventions don't go far enough. Right. right. So it's like yeah. you look at a consent decree and, you know, first of all, they take a long time. And it's like, this takes a long time. This isn't going to reach the audience it needs to. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to teach the students is that the consent decrees is one part of a bigger strategy. This isn't the, whole, the only thing that's been done. That's, that's right. This is one part of a much of a much bigger strategy. And when you look around what happened in Louisville, that's what happened. There was a push for the DOJ to open investigations. Um, there was the lawsuit. But not only was there the lawsuit, the lawsuit had policy pieces attached to it because we got the mayor to get to buy into it. Um, the individual who ended the local ban on no knock warrants, because that was a big issue, was like, we want to end no knock, no knocks. Mm -hmm. She became a city council member. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the the white judge who signed a no knock warrant was removed by a sister who was an activist in the street. Yeah. sister who was the attorney for Breonna Taylor's family is now the president of the National Bar Association, oh. right? So there were all of these, two activists ran for mayor. There were oh. all of these shifts that happened in Louisville, Kentucky because of this. And we always say, you know, protests, politics, policy, mm -hmm. right? You have to keep, you got to keep graduating and building mm -hmm. that movement out and really building power. And that's the piece that really begins. And that's why now we're in a fight with the general, the guy, I don't want to say the gentleman, who was the attorney general who's running for governor. And we know we have that fight now because he can't win. Ain't no way. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to use the case as a platform to elevate his political career. And we realize that not only do we have to did we have to win justice for Breonna Taylor, but we had to take control of Louisville, Kentucky politically. Right. And we had to take control of the whole damn state. Right. And I think that's that's the next frontier of a lot of this work. It's like, OK, we need accountability. We need justice, but we have to build power. Yeah. And we got to build a lot of political power because the individuals in office, some of them are, are not the ones. That's not the they ones. Ain't they, it. they ain't it. They ain't it. And it is us. It's the individuals who you mentioned who are going to court. Yeah. Individuals who are standing up to police departments, standing up to DAs. We have the individuals in our community, and I see it around the country. That's what I saw in Louisville. It's like we have the answers. 
We just have to put power behind the, the individuals. Yeah, that's right. And we can create so much change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I just want to encourage everybody this evening. We getting ready to go into the summertime season. You know, we got family reunions, cookouts, picnic, all of the things, right, that we do outside to uh, get your cousins now to register to vote. Mm hmm not just register, vote, and then hold these people accountable. And when they're not doing what we want them to do, they got to go. They have to go. They must go in order for us to have the power that this brother is talking about. We, we, we're not conceding one inch, <laughs> not one inch. And that means that all of us have to put, it has to be all hands on deck. Everybody, each one of us can do something. And they know that our political power means change. Yes. When you look at yes. the cities where you have black mayors and black elected officials, they're trying to strip their power. Even if you look at what happened with those brothers in Tennessee. Yes. Right. They got them removed in a flash. They said, no, 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 <laughs> we're not going to have this because they were standing up against the existing power structure. That's right. And they knew if folks started to see this, this is going to catch when this is going to be a phenomenon you see around the country. That's right. And that's precisely what needs to happen. I don't know if you all know, but this year. In Newark, they're having, it's it's the 51st. It was supposed to be the 50th last year, but because of COVID and some other issues, they didn't have it. But it's the 51st anniversary of the first Black political convention that yeah. happened in Gary, Indiana in 72. Wow. And during that convention, there's a great documentary called Nation Time that talks more about it. And there's a book called The Defeat of Black Power. And during that convention, they were talking about building a Black agenda the idea of could they build a black political party and should they run a black candidate for, for president at the time, Shirley Chisholm was actually running in 72. Mm -hmm. So this year, um, the mayor of Newark, Ross Baraka and the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, who's dealing with a whole bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, mayor Chokwe Antar Lumumba have come together to host this political convention. So it should be a great place for some of these conversations to happen. And yes. I think Black folks around the country to reimagine what political power and building political power looks like for us today. Because as you all said, what we have now ain't it. it ain't gonna work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think people get so accustomed to seeing a certain kind of thing when it comes to politics. And they, they just say, I'm gonna vote for this person, but not knowing the purpose behind the person. You can't just do that. They could be a Black person, but that don't mean they got the same objective that you have. You know, um, so in closing, Angela, I just wanted to say, I, I think from what I'm getting from this is that you're saying, like I said, I've heard people say all the time, we got to go to the DOJ. But I say, OK, that's fine. But why are we going? Like, what kind of plan do we have going to the DOJ? What I'm hearing from you is saying the consent decree, we next, we can look it up in our states as well or not and figure out how to present that to the DOJ as well. And I, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think. It's a tool that the Department of Justice has. And I think, you know, if you look at the history of the consent decrees, it, it was created after the Department of Justice said they were going to prosecute two of the officers in the Rodney King beating, right? Because I'm sure they realized that, they realized a couple of things. One thing they realized was that the, the local police department and district attorney got it wrong. But the other thing they realized was that the people was fed up and wasn't going to take it no more. 
right. the LA riots happened right after, and they realized they can't continue like this because the country going to burn to the ground. So at some point, folks are going to be like, enough's enough. We're not dealing with this. That's right. And after that investigation into those officers, they created this consent decree process, which is a pattern and practice investigation. And, you know, this is this is 90. King Rodney King happened in 91. The consent degrees are created like in 94. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, 30 years, almost 30 years ago now. Right. And we know this issue has morphed and transformed into something new. And I think not only does the DOJ need to continue to do them, but we need to talk about what the next level of pressure and accountability looks like, because I think we have to go beyond consent decrees as well. Um, right. And I think that's something that can be figured out with all of us around the country in conversation with the DOJ, because they're clear that things have gotten worse. Um, they know that now they are being pressured to have all these investigations that they don't even have the manpower to conduct, but it's because there's an epidemic in policing in America, right? right? And there's no way around. And they know one of the things they keep saying is that white supremacists infiltration of law enforcement. So we know that there are law enforcement officers who are white supremacists. This is That's a right. fact. The research shows it. And that requires a different kind of attention that doesn't yet exist. Wow. But I want to thank you all both for having me on. Um, and we should talk more about what an action looks like at the DOJ. Yeah, um, listen, I, I think um, that is necessary um, because I think people... Like I said, people say all the time, let's go to the DOJ, but I think nobody has a concise plan as far as, you know, what do we do to get to the DOJ? You know, do we all need to do a consent decree prior to going to the DOJ? How can we all, like you said, there has to be power put behind it collectively as a whole person, you know? I think we we almost need, we did this in a couple of cases, with Brianna Taylor, we had a bunch of petitions delivered, but I think a letter from each family that has had a loved one murdered by police to mm -hmm. show them the sheer magnitude of the issue mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. many individuals want the DOJ to look into these cases, mm -hmm. investigate mm -hmm. and prosecute. Mm -hmm. Because I think that'll show them they don't have the capacity, they need to build something else out. That's right. To take a new approach to addressing this issue. So I think we gotta put pressure on their back. But I think the other piece is we have to come closer together and build a collective strategy about how we address right. it. So I think right. both of those things could be done. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I think too, you know, people have this whole thing. It can't be this state, that state. Like you said, we got to do it all together, right? Most definitely. I think we're stronger together. Yeah. Uh, much stronger together. And as particular cities and states get attention, it allows us to elevate the issues on the ground in other cities, then I think that's what we have to do. We have to build that network. Yeah. So I think you're going to come up with part two then, it's not to me. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> and you have been great tonight. Thank you Thank so, you. so, so, so much as always. I do appreciate you as always. Yeah. Well, definitely. We'll speak soon. Yeah. You know it. You know it. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. Good night. Good night. Xavier killed my son.